And once again, we caution you. These stories are definitely not for the timid soul. So we tell you calmly and very sincerely, if you frighten easily, turn off your radio now. Hello, Will. I wanted to congratulate you for the job you did on Mr. Lowndes. I admired it enormously. Oh, what a cunning boy you are, Will. I'm sick of you crazy sons of bitches, Lecter. You got something to say, say it. You'd be more comfortable if you relax with yourself. We don't invent our natures. They're issued to us along with our lungs and pancreas and everything else. Why fight it? Fight what? Did you really feel so depressed after you shot Mr. Garrett Jacob Hobbs to death? I didn't know you then, but I think you probably did. But it wasn't the act that got you down, was it? Didn't you really feel so bad because killing him felt so good? And why shouldn't it feel good? must feel good to God. He does it all the time. God's terrific. He dropped a church roof on 34 of his worshippers last Wednesday night in Texas as they were groveling through a hymn to his majesty. Don't you think that felt good? Why does it feel good, Dr. Lecter? It feels good, Will, because God has power. And if one does what God does enough times, one will become as God is. This is the Bugs Potato Podcast. I'm Tom Carnell. And I'm Langley West. And you're here for episode 164. My daughter-in-law is having a baby At, right now. Possibly as we speak. Yeah, as we speak. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, but uh, uh, we uh, are sitting down today with a uh, guy, John Lovett. I met John at um, Crypticon. You did too. Yeah. John's a screenwriter. And we want to. We thought, since we talk so much about story, let's right. bring someone in and we can sort of dig into that. John, welcome. Thank you. Uh, how long have you been doing Crypticon? Uh, uh, four years. The first year I was just a visitor and then kind of asked to be a panelist. So the last three years I've been panelist. Right on. Uh, are you doing it this year? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah We're yeah, all yeah. going to be there. We're going to have fun. I'm sure it, at some point we'll, we'll be on a panel together. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to start with where you grew up. Talk to me a little about that. Like we, we talk a lot about the ground from which the plant, you know, thrives. Um, and we find I think that where a person grew up and the things that they were into at the time um, are really important. Well, yeah, they they inform your experience and they they give you the the flavor that you bring to whatever flavor. Yeah, the flavor. <laughs> <laughs> so please tell me, talk to me a bit about where you grew up and what kind of kid you were and and that kind of thing. Uh well, let's let's uh, do it the simple way. Okay, so I was born in Tucson. My dad worked in aerospace, and we I kind of grew up all through the South. Anywhere there was a aerospace company, uh, Tucson, Dallas, um, Houston, uh, Mississippi. Finally settled out near uh, the Kennedy Space Center in Florida. And I spent my formative years living in a little town in Florida, um, where interestingly enough, you talk about story, 
my mother kind of ran the house as a salon for uh, creatives. Uh, she made friends with these teachers that taught at the local junior college, local artists, and uh, we were always having these folks over for dinner. And we still have, or well, I, I still have some of the artwork that these folks did a long time ago. Um, went what back a, to California, enlisted in the army, and the rest is history. By the way, what a cool concept, the salon. Um, I had a friend here in town who, I, I don't know, a, a year or two ago, for about a year, maybe a year and a half, did a weekly salon at her house. And it was so very cool. Bringing to have, people in. Yeah, and just bringing yeah. creative types together. So this was a wild, this sounds like a wildly creative environment for a kid to grow up in. I suppose, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, my mother was one of these people who always wanted to be a creative person, really wasn't. She was a businesswoman. And uh, but she paid attention to a lot of, them. and so yeah, in, a, in that sense, I grew up around people like that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. John, were you were uh, were you a fan of movies? Were you more of a book kid? Were you know like what what kind of lit your fire? Uh, I was never a in Florida. I remember growing up, I was never a deep book kid. I mean, it was Tom Swift and. Um, the shit they make you read in high school. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, uh, when when I came back to California, when the family came back to California, it was somebody, or I picked up by accident, I don't remember, a book by um, Harlan Ellison. And it was like from there, the world just opened up, but I started reading Asimov and Van Gogh and um, all of these greats from science fiction and then started concentrating on the new wave artists uh, the new wave writers um, so yeah it was um, that's really where I got my taste for write, the desire to write came from finally reading these authors that addressed the way that I I liked fiction so mm -hmm. did when you when you when you started putting pen to paper and you're like okay I want I want to I want to tell some stories was it was it narrative prose or did you or did you discover screenwriting right off the bat oh no I was narrative prose um, I wrote some shorts for some uh, I guess it was just out of high school but I wrote some shorts for uh, a couple of small magazines that don't exist anymore and got <coughs> pardon me, got published and and so that kind of set me on that um, that trail. I, yeah, I wrote short fiction um, and it was all copies of Ellison. I mean, truthfully, <laughs> it's, it's, but that's how we know, learn, right? Yeah, like yeah, we copy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So sometimes, literally, I mean, Thompson Hunter S. Thompson said he learned to write by copying over and over and over again the great Gatsby like looking at it typing it in wow looking at sentence structure and just because he considered that to be one of the great American novels so it's yeah. like if I'm going to learn how to write I'm going to learn how to write from this guy yeah well that guy was high yeah. so. <laughs> not then not then this was long before like Rum Diary and 
before he became <laughs> the hero that he is today. Uh, uh, did you go to um, school, like college, and that kind of thing? And were you intent on being a novelist, or were you just interested in telling stories? Well, so the original intent was to be a novelist. I, you know, uh, you know, typical ideals of writing a great American novel. When you realize there's there's hundreds of great American novels. Mm-hmm. Um, no, my opportunity came in terms of screenwriting. My opportunity came when I left the army, and I was a single parent, needed a job. And a friend of mine owned a small studio in North Hollywood. He had a contract to make a whole series of movies. And um, I went to work for him just as, you know, like a production assistant. I worked around the studio. I helped people. I did all that kind of stuff. I did get paid. That was money, you know. Heck yeah. I got to put the food on the table. So... um, at some point, he got overwhelmed, and he says, you used to write short stories for the, these mags. I said, yeah. So he threw me a, a Sid Field. Sid Field is one of the gurus <laughs> yeah. of screenwriting. And I know, Tom, you've made noises about that guy before. But, um, I love that I, guy. I just reread him the other day. Oh, okay. Yeah. But anyway, he threw me his book, and I read the book, and that's what stepped me down the path of writing screenplays. And then, um, you know, as as life went on, it, you know, I just I got moved away from the active, be herding cats into a line producer's kind of job where I had time to write in between jobs. Hmm. So, so you know, the thing about Sid Field and was, you know, that was my that was my introduction to screenwriting. Right? Mm-hmm. Was was the you know, I don't know. There's like what four or five books that that Sid Field did, and um, and it sent me down this rabbit hole, right? And pretty soon, it, like with I don't know, within six months, I realized I was spending way more time uh, collecting books about reading screen, about it. yeah, reading yeah, about than just writing doing it. instead of doing it, yeah. yeah. Well, there's a lot of that stuff. There's Ro- there's McKee's story. There's Rodriguez's Rebel Without a Crew. Yeah. yeah. Oh you know, my God. The 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 what is it? The screenwriter's Bible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I love right that. Over there. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a yeah. Um. So so it's so did it was the first script you wrote one you sold? No no no. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, the first script that I wrote, I brought it in back into this guy that I worked for, and he didn't even read it. He just kind of thumbed through it, and he says, it's a piece of shit, rewrite it, and he threw it at me. <laughs> so no, I didn't sell that one. Uh, that's a great story, though. Did you did you yeah. rewrite it? Oh, yeah, I rewrote it. Eventually got made, and I'm not going to tell you. It's a late-night Cinemax thing, and I'm not even going to tell you what it was. <laughs> but, um, it, you know... Once you see your words being performed by actors, regardless how they mutilate it, it's it's really a thrill. Yeah, it's like I wrote that, dude. It's it's a drug, right? Like like yeah. Whether you're a screenwriter or whether you're an effects guy, no matter what you are, like when you see it actually made, yeah, and, mm-hmm. and it's and it's playing on screen, 
and it might be it might not be what you what you imagined uh but there's there's a magic about it right it's like yeah that's what keeps you coming back i think Mm -hmm. sure because it's it's I think it's that shared thing, you know, it's like, here's a little piece of me and a little piece of my mind, and here's you liking it, mm-hmm. and somehow, it's like, I see you, you and know what I mean? You, to tie into, you know, waiting for a baby, yeah. it's like having a baby born, right? It's oh, like, yeah. Oh, so it's, oh, shit, here it is. It's like, Sometimes it's more expensive. Truly <laughs> 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 Yeah, yeah. See, I got lucky. The first piece of fiction I ever... Like sat down and said, "Okay, I'm going to do this." It was I joined a writing group to meet a girl, <laughs> and uh, so I wrote this really this weird thing about a guy that has sex with his television set. Right, and I sold it to Swank Magazine, and I thought this is easy. And then came <laughs> years of nothing. Of, although I do have a, a rejection slip from Hustlers Busty Babes Magazine, but Man. I've kept forever. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so you what's what what college did you go to? Oh, um Well, I got my degree in history from um a university. It's called California State University of Fullerton. It's in the town of Fullerton, California. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, we used to sell stuff at a store in Fullerton. Oh, yeah? It's so facto. They're like a big goth store. <laughs> Shout out to Terry Kennedy. Um <laughs> Uh, so you went to work doing this. The, you did this script for 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 Cinemax. Was did that lead to like jobs? Beget jobs. Beget jobs. Did that beget um, a relationship with them or that got you more work? No, Cinemax. No, but through my friend and through other people I met in the industry, I started doing a lot of uh, script doctoring. Mm. Or punch up. Some guys say, "I'm a punch up guy." No, you're a screen doctor, dude. Just right. Yeah. Um. So I did that, and it's kind of that's kind of an amazing thing, you know. You do you get a treatment with a false name on it. They won't tell you the name of the movie, so you get a false name. You get a third act. You read the treatment. You walk through the third act. You make it better. Hopefully. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, sometime later, you're watching Netflix, some movie, and you're going, thinking to yourself, I know that scene. <laughs> I wrote that scene. And your name is, and believe it or not, when you do that kind of work, your name appears nowhere. Right. Sure. Because the guild doesn't think you contributed enough to the story. Mm-hmm. Cool. I got to check. I paid my insurance off from <laughs> Guild. You know, my daughter can go to the doctor. We're 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 cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it, you know, famously, you know, there there are folks who are big names who have done that type of work. Oh, uh, that's how Carrie Fisher made her living. Absolutely, mm-hmm. yeah. Sure. At, at Carrie Fisher, Tarantino did a lot of script doctoring. I, didn't he work mm-hmm. on like uh, what was the submarine movie? U571? No. Because <laughs> <laughs> that would be rad. <laughs> no, he did a bunch of dialogue for, um, oh, God damn it, Sean Connery, Tom uh, Clancy. Oh, Hunt for Red October. Yeah, Hunt for Red October. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Wow. Man. So, 
So there's a writing to spec, like someone someone saying to you, "Hey, we need you to punch up. Hey, we need a script for 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 this adaptation or what have you." Um, but then there are also the scripts that you write for yourself, right? That you try to push right. forward on mm-hmm. your own agenda. Yeah. Um, is one m- more satisfying than the other? I mean, it's 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 a, a thing to go. We need you to fix this, and you fix the watch and you hand it back. Right. But is, is that does that have its own satisfactions as does the one that you do for your heart? That was uh, a long well, way to go. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. I understand. So creatively, creativity. What's the right word? Creatively. Yeah. Creatively. Creatively. Uh, creatively. Thank you. <laughs> We're writers, uh, kids. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. I, working on my own stuff has always been more fulfilling, but I always like to pay a mortgage, so <laughs> that add kind of a priority to it. Um, I've gone through the process. I mean, I've sold two independent scripts, uh, and one of them, you can find it on YouTube. Ugh. Um, it's called Kathy Morgan, if anybody's interested. Um, the other, and it was, it was made by some software guru up in the Bay area. He wanted to make his own movie. Okay, fine. He paid me. Nice. But it was my script. So, uh, the other one really, truly, we, I wrote it. It was kind of a Prince and the Popper kind of teenage story. Mm-hmm. And um, it, we got all the way to film lock. Now, film lock is that place in filming that all your principal filming is done. The only thing you might have are pickups and you know, and making sure your colors balanced and your sound is okay and stuff like that. We got to film lock. This producer got a better deal from because it was his independent production. And then he got a deal from another production company. Oh, come to work for us, and we'll give you billions of dollars. So he put this, after all this work, he put the film on the shelf. And he says, well, I'll get back to it. And 12 years later, it's Mm. still there. It's got to be frustrating, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was frustrating. I enjoyed working with the actors. I enjoyed writing the story. The story was, I thought it was just cuter cuter than a speckled pup. (laughs) But <laughs> it, uh, really, I thought it was a good original story, and I had a. I was kind of give, just given my lead to do the story, so there's a lot of allusions in the story to uh, Casablanca, and um, yeah, which has been my favorite movie since I was a teenager. So, um, yeah, it, that was fun. I enjoyed writing that one. So, you, so you're a Casablanca guy and not a Citizen Kane guy. Uh, yeah, I've watched Citizen Kane a couple of times, and you no, know, <laughs> I'm glad people enjoy it. I, I agree. You, you two are Philistines. Uh, <laughs> I think I think if, if you're gonna go Wells, you got to go Touch of Evil. Yeah, I mean you you don't gotta you gotta. <laughs> <laughs> this town ain't big enough for you. <laughs> Funny. Um, was was the it was the experience with with working with Cinemax a good one? In that I guess in that they paid you. Well, yeah, my the production company I worked for paid me directly, but yeah, we were getting the money from Cinemax. The the 
what happened over a span? We originally had six films to produce. We ended up doing like 18 over a number of years. Um, I got to learn things about sets that were filming people engaged in various kinds of physical acts. I'm not going to go into that kind of detail, but... <laughs> the they, shot they put. Were, yeah, they were <laughs> shot put, exactly. <laughs> these people involved in... But you have all these heavy lights. We're doing it on film. So we have all the heavy lights going and all of the rest of this. And, and what we learned was Febreze is your friend. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, let me, let me ask you a question about that. So um, if, you're writing, if, if, if you're writing a movie that, that you know, the, the exploitive element is sex, mm-hmm. um, like, do you write the action? I mean, or, or, or do you just go, you know, and then they have sex? You, you know what I mean? I mean, like... Yes. It's kind of like a fight scene, the same kind of... You lay in the same logic. The only physicality that you want to write into the story is that's which is important to the story. Sure. So, if it, say, for example, if their relationship is like a, a dom-sub relationship, you're going to set up a situation. Yes. Okay. Exactly. Um, in many cases, we would... Now, you know, you guys realize that a normal script for... Uh, we were in a 90-minute kind of format, so we were built, and there were no ads, so it was about 90 pages, 87 to 90 pages, right? Right. And when, But a lot of times our scripts were just that way. They have sex. And we had to then count, like, you know, we had to have so many minutes of these sex scenes in the movie, so we would just count out like eight pages and just put a big X on it so we could have the page count. <laughs> sure. Well, yeah, and because because otherwise you're shooting, you know, an hour's worth you're of too stuff. Much. That's not, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It had to be done because of the scheduling and, and things like that. Um, but shooting one of those scenes, they literally could take three days. Sure. Sure. To, yeah, to yeah, get yeah. everything, get, to get all of the, and, my, the guy I worked for wasn't one of these people that, let's try this, let's do this. You know, it's like, this is money. And everything he did, he had worked with the actors, and they knew, they knew what to do and what sounds to make and when and blah, blah, blah. It was all pretty well sure. plotted out. It usually, is, it usually is like assembling a desk, you know, in the middle of a story. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yes. That's a... That's actually a good simile. Yeah, yeah. it's like assembling an IKEA desk. Yeah, it could, and, and I and I could see cause there and and the event in the scope of a story, any given story, unless something happens inherent in the sex that affects the overall arc, it doesn't really matter, right? It's just uh, right. We were talking off mic. Um, I I, I want to propose a movie idea, and 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 workshop the idea because what. What it, what occurs to me is that you should be able to make a movie about anything, right? Uh, yeah. uh, and and if you're a good writer, then you should be able to take an idea and then somehow turn it into a good story, no matter how ridiculous it might be or you know whatever. Well, like take for example, Toy Story. Toy Stories are those are great stories, but you know it starts with the premise of you know your toys are alive. Sure. Okay. So. 
I was uh, I was listening to something and somebody was proposing the idea of a movie about socks. And, and <laughs> so the socks are the main character, okay, are the main characters. The uh, and uh, uh, it basically starts with the premise of there's a sock. He's had his partner all this time, his whole life, that they're a pair, and they go in the dryer, and now one of the socks is missing. Go. Yeah. Okay, go. <laughs> How do so you... I, do okay, so we're going to... Um, so we're going to start with um, the scene in the drawer. You can do the human putting the socks away and here's this one sock left and, and you got the other socks then saying to him where's you know where's Hank yeah and you know they could be jerking Hank I don't, you know and uh, where's Hank and he says I don't know he just disappeared and one of the old socks in the back says he's gone to sock heaven <laughs> he's like he's, he's like the Yoda to, character that tells the story to the single basket the the, yeah. yes. the basket you throw, always throw the single right, sock right in. right 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 yeah sure right. so I'm, I'm a great believer in coming in late and leaving early so I, you know we could do the whole washer taking the stuff out and that kind of stuff but it, usually I'm a, a a believer that you should enter the scene um, as I, late as, as you can. Right. Either the th either the thing is happening and you're you've been kind of thrown into it, or this has happened and like oh shit, now we're having to deal with it. Mm -hmm. Because this way you are you don't deny yourself the the montage of the socks in the dryer, right, and, right, right, and the and the the hermits hermits music playing and the oh I remember when we were together right. and and that in and of itself drives the narrative forward because now we got to find Hank right right yeah. so it becomes a quest it becomes the hero's journey yeah. yeah almost yes and so you have jerk he's got to figure out a way to get out of the drawer and get across the living room or get across the bedroom to get to the laundry basket to make sure he didn't get left or something. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm laughing at the sock named Jerk because I've been watching a lot of Big Mouth on, and and it just it just it just leads me to this really dark place of this like it's his favorite sock and he always has to go back to the drawer and face the other socks because and he's all easily the most overwashed of the group right <laughs> and tugged the sock. You know, he could get he could get to the basket. The basket's empty. What do I do now? Oh, this is this is the lowest part of the story. I know what I'll do. I'll go back and get all the socks. And then, of course, he has to persuade all the socks. And you got the old pair in the back that haven't been used in years. You know, they're very thin, old. Uh, you know, knee socks or something, you know, something you would wear with a formal suit Anklets, or something. yeah, something yeah, out of yeah, fashion. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, would, I would pay to see this. Make this right? fucker animated. Yeah. Sidebar, yeah. You sidebar, how about something about, like, two socks that aren't the same, but they're in love? Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, that's that all yeah. like a bee thing. That's brilliant, yeah. <laughs> I yeah, you could have, like, the Argyle socks with a Scottish accent. Yeah. 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 I, 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 I imagine 
I imagine a scene where like all the socks have to tie each other together like a like an escape uh, yes. like like a thing yeah. to get out of the drawer. <laughs> and we wait a minute, we and we have to have an old pair of GI socks in there, you know, the old yeah. green GI yes, socks. Arlie Ermy needs to work. We need to get yes, that guy. You can ask the voice of Arlie Ermy. <laughs> I'm so into Do this. you want it? Do you want it? Do you want to find your friend? <laughs> it's like I, I'm thinking of the poster. Socks ready to tumble. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. I, I I just thought that would be a fun exercise. <laughs> it was a fun exercise. I uh I I wanted to to ask you about something that you were talking about earlier. Just you were using it as an example, but you know you're talking about being a. a uh, a ghost writer uh, or a, a script doctor. Yeah, ghost is, a ghost writer does something else. Right, uh, a script doctor, and um, you know somebody says you know punch up the third act. Why is it? And we may have talked about this before. I'm not sure. Why is it that I I hear this more often than not? Man, the first two thirds of the movie was great, and then it fell apart in the third act. Why is the third act so hard to nail? Because that's the script doctor screwing it up mm-hmm. in the end. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> as, I, as I like to say about it, it's easy to get lost. Just sure. wander and you can you can have a hell of a time getting lost, but now when you have to find your way back, yeah. that's the hard part. And um, anyone, it's, it's literally, uh, I had an instructor once talk about, it's literally painting yourself into a corner. You, 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 you have all these cool ideas and right. you realize... I can't get out of this. Yeah. Um, unless you're Stephen King, and then you just blow up some shit up. Well, what? What? Okay. <laughs> well, so, yeah. so yeah. I was I was going to ask, like, can you? Can either of you guys think of a really good third act? Uh, a really good third act? Aliens. Aliens. Yeah, that's. I was. In fact, I was just thinking about aliens as a good third act. Yeah. Except that they cut out the crucial part of it that I think would have really fundamentally, which was the fact that she finds the captain and all the crew hanging in this place and burns it all. Mm-hmm. They took that out of the movie. Um, so, in terms of a third act in a contemporary movie, um, one of the... Uh, I liked... Um, it's a, It was an obscure movie, but I enjoyed it very much. It's called A Good Year. Oh, yeah! Yeah! With Russell Crowe? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Isn't that, I think it's a wine movie, right? Yes, it's yeah, a wine yeah, movie. Yeah. And I think the third act the third act worked very well. Mm, um, cool. Uh, now, prob- I'm go, sorry. No, go ahead, John. I think the problem, you're correct about painting yourself into a corner about the third act. But my feeling is, is is that if you have a problem in the third act, your problem isn't in the third act. Your problem is in the first act. Agreed. Right. Did, did I hit the microphone? I didn't mean to. No, That's fine. okay. Uh, but your problem, movies are a thing of setups and payoffs, setups mm-hmm. and payoffs. And if you haven't set something up correctly and you're trying to do something in the third act that we haven't seen um, I always look at the example of the, the the movie about the guy being chased. He's the spy being chased by the bad guy, and finally there's the confrontation at the end, and he picks up the M16, AR-15, AK-47, or whatever it is, and just shoots the bad guy. Mm-hmm. 
What we never did was substantiate that he even knew how to use a firearm. Right, right, right. right. Uh, I had a guy tell me, if you have a guy pull a gun out of a drawer and shoot someone oh. earlier, you better have shown that gun in the drawer. In the drawer, yeah. yeah. yeah yes. Yeah. You have to, I always say, you have to give the audience their their information because they're, they're in a room and they're blind and they're deaf and they can't feel anything or taste anything. They have no senses. And it's only, they're only ingesting what you provide for them. And if you don't provide what they need to draw their, the conclusion you want, right. then I agree. You absolutely feel it's, it. It's like, you know, think about a movie. Um, I, I often, whenever I, I think about a good third act, my mind always goes to the, uh, the aha movies. Like, oh, you know, like sixth um, sense. the sixth sense. Um, Oh, yeah. Shawshank Redemption, that mm-hmm. type of thing. But in order for you to do that successfully, you have to have laid clues throughout the whole movie so that Absolutely. people can, Yeah, so that they can go back and go, Oh shit, it was there in front of me the whole time and I was an idiot and, and that's part of that fun experience for that type of movie. Right. It's the fight club moment where you go, Oh, oh this oh, literally was in front of me right, the whole time. Exactly, time. yeah. Well, it's also the idea, and I also fundamentally believe this, is that you should let the audience add up two and two. Mm. Uh, They'll love you for it. Um, And and you're right about all the clues for the sixth sense was laid out in front of people. Uh, But truly, most people don't watch movies with a great amount of intensity because they're doing something else. Uh, don't do, uh, I, I could go on and on and on about the Sci-Fi Channel. Agreed. <laughs> um, it's product. Yeah. It's just, yeah. Here's something to have on while you do your dishes. This is your, our new widget. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, that's whole programming idea for the Sci-Fi Channel. Yeah. Is what what is their average audience? It's not a 15 year old male. It's a 35, 36 year old, or 35 to 40 year old female doing her daily chores. Yeah. Mm-hmm. By the way, this is a, 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 a shout out to them. Uh, yeah, going <laughs> off into the weeds moment. Um, how disappointed were you guys when the Sci Fi Channel came out? Like when when I read, like I was like, oh shit, there's going to be a Sci Fi Channel. Yeah. I imagined like endless blocks of like 1950s bug-eyed monsters movies. No. N- no, that is not what I... They, I remember in the early days they started Dark Shadows at the beginning. Yeah. And the problem is, is the first two years of Dark Shadows are really boring. It's really bad, yeah. <laughs> and so, but by then the, they'd lost their audience and yeah, exactly. couldn't figure out why it didn't work. I, I do, <coughs> as horrible as the movies are, I do applaud their model of making... Um, essentially drive-in movies. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they make these cheap movies, they have horrible CGI, blah, blah, you know, whatever. They're not good. You know, I, I Sharknado, I'm looking at you. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I'm like, that's cool. You're, you guys are carving out your own, you know, you're carving out your space. You're, you're occupying this void that, what, what, you know, that first was, you know, drive-in movies. Then we had, you know, Charles Band, Full Moon, VHS stuff. Mm-hmm. And then the one thing that all those things did for me as a young fan was I knew where I could go and get my fix, mm-hmm. right? You know, it, no matter how bad the movie was. Now, I'm not a fan of the sci-fi movies, mm-hmm. um, but I'm glad somebody's making them. Yeah, it's a good... It's a good Platform for a lot of practical effects, sure, which yeah. we're all a fan of. Do you have favorite scripts, John? Like, 
Oh, scripts. Favorite yeah. scripts, yes. Um, one of my all-time favorites that I that is a go-to script for me um, is Gladiator. Really? Oh, wow. Gladiator is a really easy read. And the other one that I really enjoyed to read is uh, John Logan's uh, Saving Private Ryan. Huh. Yeah. That's a really good read. Do you, um, do you think that people who screen, write scripts, like they say that people who write fiction should read fiction. Do you think that pe screenwriters should read uh, a lot of scripts? Oh, absolutely. Read scripts. Not only to determine what you don't want to do, but at the same time you should figure out what did they do right. Mm -hmm. uh, I also look at reading scripts for um, genre. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, in other words, I, I received a challenge. When I was at UCLA, I received a challenge from one of my professors. I was, ta I was in there for the screenwriting program, and I received a challenge. He says, I want you to write a genre in which you have never written in before, and I've never written horror. Hmm. So I went and found um, The Birds. The Birds? Birds. Birds. Anyway... I went to find this script. It's it's not the Hitchcock one. It's the it's the Civil War uh, script. Oh oh oh! I'm the I'm thing with Norman Reedus. Yeah 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 and that's led me down a, a whole long path for years about trying to figure out genre and trying to figure out what the fundamental differences are between genres. And uh, I've done a lot of study in, in, in that. But what I did was dissect dead birds literally scene by scene and then started writing a horror script based on the beats and, and that kind of thing that, uh, yeah, if you're a screenwriter, you should read scripts. I would, I would yeah. think if only to learn the parlance, the language of well, what you're dealing with. Yeah, and, and there are, you know, there's, um, when I was in school, the big focus was on formatting, right? That, mm. was the, that was the big thing. Learn how to write a script, you know. Um, and then you realize there is none. Well, so, uh, to some degree, I, I mean... Well, you, Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, like, you have to understand, you know, you have to understand the basic formatting. But what I found was a lot of the rules uh, as far as writing a script, uh, you know, don't, you know, show, don't tell. Show, it, don't it, tell. Yeah, yeah, that type of stuff. Um, when you look at some of your favorite movies and you look at and you read the scripts, those rules were made to be broken. I mean, you know, it just depends. Like, if you ever read a Tarantino script, oh my god. Well, it's like... The two examples that I wrote down, um, look at a script by Walter Hill, which right. is... He even himself judges based on how much white space there is. Sure, sure. And then you look at a script by George Romero. Yeah, yeah exactly. So Romero is essentially fiction, and yeah, it's just sort of broken up. Yeah. Oh, well, and, and I guess that brings up the question, John, is like... When you write a script, um, do you write it as if you were going to make the movie? You're writing it for yourself, or do you write it 
I guess, more commercially with the idea of, like, whoever is going to make this movie. Yeah, it's the latter, not the former. I I follow Trottier's book, the, the, the Screenwriter's Bible, very uh, extensively. I've known Dave for a long, long time. And I'm a very, and because it's, I've been a studio reader in the past, I, you know, if people didn't follow a format, I, I would just do a not recommend on the script. Hmm. And, and the other one I would be very uh, cantankerous about was spelling. Mm-hmm. Sure. If I got three misspelled words in the first four, couple of three pages, I'd usually do a not recommend uh, simply because. Uh, it shows that you're too lazy to reread your script or have someone pay somebody to read your script. Right. Or click spell check right, right. on your document. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I, I tend to be very, I tend to be very persnickety, as it were, on format. Yeah. And that's because I'm not, I'm trying to give as few excuses to readers like I was to do a not recommend, you know, check your spelling, check your format, at least don't give them that. Let them read the sto- get into the story and read the story right. and not be des- not be taken out of the story because you suddenly have now you have dialogue that's left justified and they have to figure out was oh, that action or is that di- oh it's dialogue but they didn't correct the didn't, or- right, right. <laughs> so so would your recommendation uh, I'm sorry. Recommendation be to um, young screenwriters. It's like if you, if you feel like you have an, an awesome treatment, like you feel like you have a really good story, but you don't feel strong in the script writing department, do you give it to someone else, or do you go to school, whether that be a, a, a workshop or whatever? I would say go to a workshop, learn the basics, and then go back and write. Because nobody's going to, I mean, trying to get somebody to write your ideas, like having, asking someone to build a swimming pool in their backyard, and you might let them swim in it. Sure, sure. It's like, it's like, it's like, uh, forgive me, but it's like trying to get someone else to jack you off the way that you do. It's not yeah. gonna it's so, not gonna be the same. That's, that's <laughs> poetic, man. Thank you. Thank you. And, and, and coming from somebody to that I I actually got involved in that kind of thing at one point because I liked the story this person had invented, but every time I set words to paper and sent it back to them, they were No, that's not what I had in mind. No. Oh, do yeah. this, do that. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Here, take this. It's already formatted for you. <laughs> Go. Um, I read on your list of accomplishments that you served uh, as a military technical advisor. Uh, yes. For Soldier Inc. and Global Inc. Soldier Inc. being Dale Dye's company. Yeah. And um, Global Inc. being um, Harry Humphreys. How did that come about? Was it your background having been in the military? Well, right. I had a small independent company, and I was doing some military technical stuff for movies. I was a weapons master, and that's the guy that handles all the weapons. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I was also I did some edge weapon swords and and that kind of thing because I have a theatrical fencing background. Okay. Now, now you're talking yeah. our language. <laughs> I, know, I, know. I was saving this. <laughs> Go ahead. And I was, 
And I was also a, um, I was in the Society of Creative Anachronism for a long time. Okay, sure. And so anyway, I knew how to mix theatrical with more accurate kinds of sword fighting. But anyway, so I got in with Dale Dye and we worked, uh, did the preliminary work on Saving Private Ryan. And Dale Dye was never interested in World War II accuracy. That fell on the rest of the crew. Um, Dale Dye kept wanting to use an OD color that didn't come in until after the war. I was going to say, he was more of a Vietnam guy, right? Like, Yeah. Yeah. He's very much a was a Vietnam guy, and so he was always trying to get this Vietnam paradigm, and it was like, no, Dale, this is World War II. That's different. Well, he did he did a lot of stuff, came to sort of the public eye by uh, the work that he did with the Platoon. Right. And he wrote the novelization, yeah. and he was the on-set right, guy, and yeah, all yeah, that yeah. other stuff. Yeah. So that makes sense. But, yeah, give, just assuming, hey, war's, I could see an executive, hey, war's war, right? Right. <laughs> I, back when we when uh, Heather Buckley was uh, another of the of the hosts of the show, uh, her and I had a distinction in our in our war movie likes. As she and I liked green war movies, we didn't like brown war movies. And uh, one being in the jungle, one being in the, in desert. the desert. Yeah, and yeah. it's it's weird how like. I, I don't know how that I don't know how that happens, you know. I but for but for some reason, uh, you know, movies like The Hurt Locker, which I understand is an amazing movie, I just don't care. I, I don't I don't want to look at it, you know. I thought it was okay. Yeah, it was okay. Yeah, well, I agree. A lot of them. I maybe it is because when we saw the Green War movies was when we were you know we were kids, formidable years, and it was real. And and you know and not to say that the desert wars aren't real, but yeah. no, not, I got now I'm adult. And what what are uh, what are two script guys? <laughs> okay, so a number of years ago, uh, my writing partner and I, um, we had kind of combined over writing about a script about a Marine Corps general, uh, a guy named Smedley Butler, who. <laughs> Um, who was a very famous, in fact, he won two medals of honor. I mean, this guy was had a military background for decades, but because he was not the most uh, sociable of people, uh, he did never became commandant of the Marine Corps. And so he resigned his commission in 35, I think, 30 someplace in there, and then became a real advocate, a real peace advocate, talking about war as a um, is a crooked business, and and he made a statements before Congress that people had approached him to lead a coup against Roosevelt, and wow. so he was quite a character. Yeah. So anyway, he and I. My writing partner, not Butler, not Butler. Uh, Butler died in '41, I think. Mm. Um, what an awesome name! That's like Smedley Butler. That's, yeah. a, that's a name you, made for. You name your child Smedley, you gotta want him to know how to fight. <laughs> yeah, right? fight. It's like a boy named Sue. Smedley. Smedley. Jesus, the jokes right themselves. <laughs> but go ahead. I'm sorry. Yes. So. 
my writing partner and I started working on this script. In fact, we even had the attention one time of, uh, you mentioned Platoon, Stone. Mm-hmm. We had his attention for a while. But my my statement about people, and, and he and I still are friends. I mean, we still correspond back and forth. But if you ever are diagnosed with diabetes, treat it. He did not treat his, and he actually ended up in hospice, oh. not once, but twice, uh. and recovered both times. And um, there was this whole long period of which he did nothing creative because he was trying to survive. Right. And so he's doing better now. Um, he lives in a uh, community, an old, an older Community that's run by the state down in um, down in Southern California. So he, uh, yeah, like I said, he's doing better. And, and occasionally, I ship work down to him. Uh, you know, if somebody wants their script reviewed or to check spelling and formatting and grammar and all the rest of that. I'll, I'll ship work down to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, he's on Social Security, Medi-Cal, Medicare, mm. all the rest of that. So. Mm. But, um, but, but you do that. Look at people's scripts and help help them along. And oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, is, is that what Big Ideas is? I saw that on your Facebook page. Oh, Big Ideas was just something that came up one time on... I thought, eh, that's a pretty good title. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's nothing new. Um so if someone has a script and they bring it to you, tell me a little bit about that process. Is is it literally you take it and, and do a draft of it and send it back to that person? Or do you do you help them along and say, here are the changes I'd make and give them back like an editor would? Like a fiction editor? You mean you mean as a as a script doctor? Yes. Oh, okay. Sorry. So you're talking about to that level. Um so I have various degrees of things that I do for people. I, I, it can start off with a studio read, meaning I read the script for uh, with a studio uh, format, and I can tell you whether it would be recommended or not recommended. Then that's one level. That, but and it progresses in levels, and the one where you're talking about is, yes, I, at, at, if you have a completed script... And you want it uh, rewritten for content? Uh, yeah, that's I would I would make rewrites to the script, mm-hmm. but kind of like in Word, and you can put the little bars to the right. Yeah, the comments thing. That's right, great. right, right. Yeah, right. So that I can send it back to folks saying, "These are my recommendations." Pardon me. These are these are my recommendations, and they. Um, you know, accept them or not. I'm, I'm not going to, you know, I'll discuss them, but I'm not going to argue about I'm not going to, I don't like to spend time with people defending what they've written. Right, 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 right. right. Yeah, yeah, nobody... explain, it, explain it to me. I mean, is this a setup for something you're going to pay off later? Did you pay it off? Or yeah. or what? Well, but I, you know. I mean, it's, it's essentially, they've hired you to do a job, you've done it, now you're not going to, like, bicker about it. Yeah, my... That's my cool. My opinion of what is wrong isn't up for debate. Right, exactly. It's, it's, it's my opinion. Here's what you hired me for, and this is, yeah. Uh, do you also teach workshops and stuff like that? 
Oh yeah, yeah I teach I, I teach workshops up here in um I've done work with Cascade Writers, um and then the Northwest Writers Association. Mm-hmm. Um in fact I'm at Norwestcon I'll I've re- I'm reviewing a number of stories, not scripts, oh. just stories. Oh that's cool. I've never done Norwestcon. Yeah. I don't know what the hell Norwest is. It's like a writerly is. con that happens around the Seattle area. Ah, yeah. It was in Portland, I think, a few years ago. Okay. A lot of people tell me I should go, but I don't get out much. <laughs> <laughs> Going yeah, involves, con- like, you know, driving and all that yeah. shit. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's just one of those things. That's why Crypticon is so, it's, it can be challenging because it's like the agoraphobia kicks well, it's in. It's like, you know, it's like, you know. It's it's high alert. It's yeah, yeah. It's almost two hours south of here. It's like I'm away from my there's dog. There's a lot of people. <laughs> it's like it's exactly. all the things that are gross. Um, are you working on on scripts now? Oh yeah, mm-hmm. all all the time. All the time. Uh, right now, I'm working with a producer on a television series that I can't talk about. Um, I'm also. Doing a couple of uh, independent scripts, one of which I am working with uh, a writing partner, um, and there is some studio money backing us. So, yeah. Um, but the whole thing about, and this started to change when I was still working in the industry. But uh, the the whole thing about a screenwriter pitching when I started into the industry, and as a writer, you went into a production company or an agent, you made your pitch. Thank you very much. Have a nice day. There's the door. Don't let it hit you on the way out. Or this is really good. Send us your script. Mm-hmm. And that was, you know, ten minutes. Yeah. Today, they want the writer to walk in with the business plan, oh, the wow. audience foursquare, wow. which is just the audience who they think is where the audience lies for this right. story. Who's the demographic? Yes. Who's the demographic? Exactly. Never. It, but they want the writer to have done all this up front. So they pitch the story. Yeah, we like your story. What is your business? Uh, what do you think this is going to go? And you, you have to pr- have this prepared business plan. All this feature is going to run about $35 million, and here's the breakdown, and da-da-da-da. And then sometimes, well, who do you think you want to star in the film? And who's going to be above the line? Who's going to be? And that well, work, you no, go ahead. No, I was going to say, who the fuck decided this? Like, this is insane. The movie industry has become the problem. The problem is that the industry is being run by people who don't understand the old formal um, ways. I mean, normally when somebody pitched a story and they got the script, and yes, they were going to the movie started into discussions. They would hand it off the script to a line producer and the line producer then would break everything down and look at who was available, who wasn't, what's their salary ranges and stuff like that and start putting together a budget. But now they want the screenwriter to tell, tell the studio wants the screenwriter to tell them what the budget is. Yeah. Let alone to show them this is, this is where we're, we're going with this. This is who our target audience is. This is our, 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 and there, and all of that implies certain things, right? We're, you know, yes. If it's a kid's film, the Happy Meal, you know, are, is implied. Yeah, they want. Yeah, they want to see the toys. Yeah. 
Yeah. If you're pitching a kids' film, they want to see the toys. They already want to see. Did you go out and pay somebody to build the little figurines? Right. Right. Kills and me. the other thing, the other thing that's happening that I find just atrocious is that they want to see your bona fides. Meaning, what do you have on YouTube? Hmm. What do you have on, you know, we want to see, we don't want to read your scripts. We want to see the production of your, what is the production of your scripts? Right. I was hearing someone talk about it. They were an actor talking about how one of the new criteria for getting jobs is how many Instagram followers you have. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yes. That's yeah. crazy. Um, I want to ask you something. Um, do you think that that do, do you think that that you know expecting you to come in with all this extra information and stuff that you know beyond you know writing the script is is a uh, demonstration of respect and the reason why I ask that is because there's a famous quote that uh, from Hollywood and, it, and it's debated as to who said it Jack Warder um, there's a number of people who may have may may not have said it. Is a writer is a schmuck with an underwood. Do you do you think then that now that 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 by asking you to come in with that stuff, they're giving you more respect, or do you think they're just like, let's get as much you know bang for our buck as we can? I think it's the. F- Former, not. I think it's the latter, not the former. It's sure. trying to get as much bang out of a writer as you can, and yeah, there is the attitude of uh, a lot of producers, the, the creative producers, not the working producers, but the creative producers who really believe the writer is nothing but a, a schmuck with a typewriter, and it's like, uh, yeah, there you go. Well, they never. It's a long. I hate to say it, a tradition, but like the last person a director wants on the set is a writer. Right. Oh, absolutely. Um, that's changing. That's why. That's why it's so unusual when, like, say, for example, uh, going back to Alien again, where Ridley Scott wanted um, Dan O'Bannon. Dan O'Bannon on set. Yeah. Well, and, and heavily involved. Um, when I was on it's an odd thing. the Animal set. With they they well they Spectre was there having written the book Spectre was there every single day yeah the film came out terrible but that wasn't his fault yeah yeah you know yeah. but it, but it was odd because I thought what are you doing here yeah I would think that you would be a pariah with these and people. It's, and it's so I but mean there's a whole documentary dedicated to this in, where it's like it's so frustrating because it's like look if it wasn't for me motherfucker you wouldn't have this movie well yeah. it just seems like the whole model is based on the idea if you accept that. What we're doing is building houses, and story is your foundation. Yeah, you're, you're you're laying a shitty foundation, a rickety foundation at best, and building all this other stuff on top of it, and not caring that you're there are serious if, flaws. If, if nothing else, yeah. uh, if, if I'm a director, if I'm a director, I want and and I and 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 I've got the script that I believe in. I want the input of that writer, like it's you would like, think, right? Because yeah. if you if I start to go, if I start to steer off the road, this guy can go. Hey, yeah. this is why that's not a good idea. Right, right. Do, um, you, do you ever find that job? Do you ever find you know people who are like, I really need the writer involved in the shooting of the script. So 
the very first producer I ever worked for was the one that gave me the jobs and everything. He was a great, well, he wrote a lot of the scripts too, but even when he didn't, he wanted the writer there on set. That was his approach. Um, the, um, and in television, that's a different paradigm, by the way. In television, they actually, the writer is very often the producer of the episode and they're, they are on set every day. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've had instances of where I turned in the script, the studio liked the script, they paid me, they paid me off, then they hired somebody else to come on. I got a check. Uh, I'm done. You just have to accept that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, one mo- one movie that I did write the script for, I was on set, but uh, but the actors weren't allowed to talk to me. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> they say, oh, he's kept dropping me off at services. I don't know what that was. Yeah. Um, what do you think about the need for all creatives to be have to become their own PR person to get their to get their word out to do podcasts to to do a Facebook and Instagram and a Twitter presence? Yeah, I. Hey, you know that fits the modern paradigm. Yeah. Um, and truly, in the I mean, if you go back to the even into the '60s, most people, if you had a writer in the neighborhood. They didn't know or care who they were because there was no, I mean, no famous, famous people were going to visit him, so. Yeah. Um. <laughs> sure. I just said, yeah, yeah, there's a writer in the neighborhood. Oh, you mean that crazy guy that never leaves his <laughs> yeah. house? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I would argue that, that I, I would argue that that's always been the paradigm. It's just in different, different uh, formats. So, like, say back in the day, you had to go to the parties. You had to. Yes. You, had, you had to mix and mingle, and, and because otherwise people didn't know who you were. Right. Right. Yeah, and I've been to the parties, and after watching some of the shenanigans go on, it was like I've got a daughter to raise. I right. don't have time for this. It just seems like a lot of shit that takes you away from doing what you should be doing, and that's right. hitting the keys. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. and and doing yeah. doing the work, but. These days, I mean, um, I always ask, I, I heard a guy at a con recently say, um, I wonder how many Instagram followers Edgar Allan Poe would have had. Pro- probably none. Right. <laughs> <laughs> or or any great writer. Hemingway. What, what would he all be? Fish. Yeah. So, you know, I wonder about that stuff because I find myself doing big chunks of it during the day. Yeah. And then going like, man, you could have knocked out an, a 1,500 words right there. Yeah, but it's I I think it's I think it's part of the game, right? Like you yeah. you know, like uh, Well, every I, time I can, I can tell you there's an author named Cat Richardson who wrote the Shadow wasn't Shadow Hunter. Anyway, she wrote a uh one of these uh urban uh, fantasies about a, a a ghost seeing um detective. Anyway, yeah, and she was told by one of her publishers she had to come on to um, um, those sites and and post pictures and she, you know all. So she posts her dog. Had to do all. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. The saga of the the of the dog. Yeah. Well, 
a writer's best friend is either his dog or his cat. Yeah, for, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, I have, and I have neither, so so. Oh really? Well, that leaves you with the bottle, sir. <laughs> yeah, that too. Yeah, yeah. That that is true too. You know, a bottle of good scotch will buy me every time. Sure, <laughs> absolutely. Making a mental note. <laughs> um, where can people get in touch with you? Like, do you have a website or? So there's two different ways they can get hold of me. Um, so the first one is they can use my email. Uh, my email is two script guys at uh, gmail.com and that's T-W-O scriptguys at gmail.com okay and the other way to get hold of me is let me find it real fast the easiest way to get hold of me is 626-548-8319 and that's my my true business number right on And, and they can talk to you about all sorts of stuff yeah, they can ask me questions. I give most people a freebie. If they ask a question, I, I'll give them one freebie. And, um, you know, and most of the time it's go read this book and then come back and ask me the question. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. I love that. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, thanks a lot for coming on, buddy. We're going to see you, we're gonna see you at Crypticon in May. Bam! Yes. And uh, good. we will be back in a second because I know a place. You know a place. I know a dark, secluded place, a place where no one knows your face, a glass of wine, a fast embrace. It's called Hernando's Hideaway Ole. All you see are silhouettes, and all you hear are castanets, and no one cares. How late it gets, not at Hernando's Hideaway Ole. At the Golden Finger Bowl or any place you go. You will meet your Uncle Max and everyone you know. are sitting close and making love to me. You may take my heart. You may take my soul. But not my key. Just knock three times and whisper low that you and I were sent by Joe. Then strike a match and you will know you're in Hernando's Hideaway Ole. All right, so always fun. Yeah, always that was great. Yeah, absolutely. I, I I I've been on panels with John in the past, and and uh, super no- knowledgeable dude. Um, I love talking about, and it's something that I think we don't do enough is is talking about s- story. You mm-hmm. know, we get so caught up in in. Um, you know the mechanics of what a person is doing um but re- regardless of who we have on whether it's a musician whether it's an artist whether it's a writer mm-hmm. they're all basically telling a story yeah and well i think capital p process doesn't matter what you're doing yeah the how you're expressing yourself doesn't matter but the process of 
of as Sondheim said in Sending the Private George, putting it together. Yeah. You know, that's the hard, that's the fun. That's the work. And genius yeah, part. Yeah, yeah. I, I got to say, that socks thing, we're going to, you're going to see more of that. <laughs> I had a good time doing that. That was fun. Uh, moving on to second era stuff. Uh, we'll, we'll go through this. Um, people who died. Edward M. Abrams, film editor, worked on Blue Thunder and <laughs> that horrible Street Fighter movie. Um... Barbara Alston, she was the singer for the Crystals, Papa Do Run Run. Wait, the, the wait. song, the Crystals. Yeah, doing a version, a song called Papa Do Run Run, the lead do singer. Run, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Do run, yeah, run. Yeah, 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 okay. That's her. Yeah, okay. Not anymore. Okay. Um, Didier Lockwood, this was a big one for me. Violin player, think Stefan Grappelli, think. Jean-Luc Ponty. Okay. Um, a monster. He. I just talked about uh, his new record not a couple of weeks ago on this yeah, yeah, yeah. very show. And uh, he was a great player. And um, and he passed. Uh, Pierre Paolo Capone. He was an actor. He was in Argento's Cat of Nine Tales. He was in Fernando de Leo's The Boss with uh, Henry Silva. And he was in Imbero Lenzi's Seven Bloodstained Orchids. Wow. And two more. Billy Graham. Um, Billy major Graham, evang- evangelist. Uh, a tough one for me because a horrible one for me because fuck that guy. Right. Well, <laughs> so did a lot of good stuff, but he yeah. did a lot of really hateful shit to like the LGBT community. Right. Exactly. And, and, and he he was sort of canonized because he was like you know. Do we have super Christian? Do we have a, a a person like that? Who his is, son is trying really hard to to replace his dad and has been for a decade or so. Well, I, I, super right. I, I guess my question is: Do we have somebody who's who is uh, uh, so entrenched in in the right wing Christian? You know, it's it's weird, and this is why it's hard for me. Is because my my father. Mm-hmm. Is a born again Christian, okay, and and uh, you know follows a a particular televangelist who has since passed away, mm-hmm. um, and uh, is is simultaneously. That's why I have a problem whenever people go, oh, right wing, you know, right wing Christians, blah mm-hmm. blah 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 blah. My dad isn't one of those guys, you right. know, and and, and and yet he follows all of that stuff. So I'm just wondering: is there is there a Billy Graham in the in the, in the making who is LGBT friendly? Friendly? Not that you, I can. You know, know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, like I I don't know. Like I mean, somebody like the Dalai Lama, or you know what I mean? Well, he's pretty the, LGBT. Friendly. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's a it's a thing where. And this this really gets close to a line where this is like another fucking podcast. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. But the idea that I think that that I get it why why peop, why someone would follow someone a televangelist or, or or a cult leader or, or whatever um, because life's scary and it and it helps to have someone that you think can show you the way sure. through the through the brambles. Sure, sure, and sure. I get all that. Um, I don't get when 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 that bleeds over into politics and, and a lot of this other right. stuff. So well, this guy, I say fuck this guy because I know people who this his his behavior and his his rhetoric has directly hurt. And yeah. so 
you know, I I, I shrug my well, shoulders. Well, that's about why that's why that's why it's frustrating because it's like if you you know if you're familiar with the message, yeah, it's not that you know. And, and yeah, so well, I think it's like anything. It's like a ga- a, ga- a giant game of telephone. Right, and where everyone's exactly. shopping their interpretation and they're spinning the ball, and no one knows, and so and it comes down to, I don't like this. Yeah, you know, exactly. And then, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, on a related note, <laughs> Nanette Fabre died. <laughs> Nanette Fabre, staple Man. of TV, game yes. shows, and talk shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Her daughter, I forget her daughter's name, but was on a sitcom for a while. Very charming lady. Yeah. Bit a uh, sharp tongued at times. Sure. Not quite Betty White. Old Hollywood. Old yeah. Hollywood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, moving on to news. Marvel announced that their first Native American hero, Red Wolf, is getting his own series. Cool. And with uh, we're going to talk about Black Panther in a second, I'm sure. But that ties into yeah, a couple of things. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think it's great. I think representation is is critical. I think. The more that people can look to the screen or read in a book or look in a comic book or on TV and see themselves, yeah, it's it's a good thing. It's a good thing, and it opens you up to all sorts. Look at Coco; it oh, that film opens you up to an entire heritage of storytelling right. that you never would have got to if we didn't start do, talking about Absolutely. this kind of inclusion. Um. HBO is going to build an actual Westworld at South by Southwest in Austin. What could go wrong? <laughs> I think I saw a movie I'm about this one. I'm waiting for the headlines now. <laughs> Hundred shots <laughs> by rogue robots at Westworld. Yule Brenner Robot kills... <laughs> yeah, I read that and I thought... Thousands of hipsters. It's, it's so meta that it kind of gets weird on you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Lauren Cohen, who plays Maggie on The Walking Dead, has signed on to do a pilot for a series for ABC. So, bye, Maggie. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I'm. I. You know. I was hoping that, like, you know, folks who, um, originally Frank Frank Darabont mm-hmm. discovered, uh, start moving on. Yeah. You know. It's it, time. It, yeah. You know, the only person that's gonna, I think, there are two people that are gonna ride that thing like. Slim Pickens on the bomb and Doctor Strangelove, and that's Andrew Lincoln yeah. and uh, Norman. Yeah, Norman's been tried a couple times to break out. He did that Kirkman sci-fi thing. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. was really horrible. Yeah, but it's like, look, dude, like, there's not a lot of you know. You need to. You need unless to be, you, he would be smart for him to sign on to something like a the, the Sons of Anarchy spinoffs. Right, or exactly. Somewhere like yeah. he doesn't. You need to start to, building that foundation yeah. because yeah, 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 it yeah, isn't yeah. going to last forever. And Andrew Lincoln can only rest on. Um, the Christmas movie for so long. Love Actually. Love Actually. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, you know, when I first saw like the, you know the one episode of The Walking Dead that I've watched, I kept waiting for him to start holding up flashcards. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, you know, I think I think it's those those um uh uh those. The, the the problems in that series are evident, right. and they're they're working to change it. I don't think just swapping out cast is a way to go. I think that um, uh, it goes back to what we we're just saying with John. Without a, a compelling story, we are f- well and truly fucked. 
Danny Boyle may already be at work on the next Bond film. Danny Boyle having done 28 Days Later sure. and Sunshine and all yeah, that yeah, yeah. stuff, Train Spotting. Um, I'm okay with this. Yeah. I'm kind of okay with this. Nah. I, it, well, you know, we've talked about this before. I've never seen a Bond movie after Roger Moore. So. <laughs> <laughs> There's... And, you know, I'm again, sure they're all awesome. They're fine. Lupita uh, Nyong'o um, just got cast to be in a film called Born a Crime, which is based on a book Trevor Noah of The Daily Show wrote about his mother. He was raised in South Africa. He is uh, half. His mother is black and his father is white. Yeah. And he all couldn't couldn't go outside. He was a big shame having a, a multi uh, sure he grew uh, up during our apartheid apartheid yeah um they just he just had her on the show and it was the warmth between them was nice great. it was very great. cool uh for some reason disney is planning to reboot the muppets again for their streaming service i guess they're moving ahead with this disney streaming where you'll be able to get all the disney movies and all the disney shows well, I, I mean it'll be cool if they go back to in my opinion if they go back to the muppets of the past mm -hmm. i i did not like the muppet the the reboot of the muppet show mm -hmm. or whatever it was where you know we, the muppets are having you know real life adult problems no, that's not why i want the muppets you no. know where where uh Miss Piggy and and do you remember that? Yeah, they yeah, split up. Yeah, he had yeah, a new yeah. girlfriend. Yeah, was, it was like yeah. yeah no, fuck you know, that. I just feel like changing things just to change things is rarely for the better. Right. Exactly. So, um, Netflix uh, signed Jim Mickle, who did um, Stakeland and right. Mulberry Street, to do something called In the Shadow of the Moon. He cast. Boyd Holbrook, who was the one-armed dude in Logan, yeah. the Bond guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I will watch anything Jim Mickle does. Sure. And uh, so Stinkland is like, that's uh, you know, along with uh, uh, um, he never dies. Mm -hmm. the, that's that's a Stinkland is a movie where I, I I go look. I get it. You don't have much money. Take a look at this movie. Yeah. And 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 the rollout makes something good. That opening on oh, Stinkland, it's, it's great. Is so good. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm I'm down with whatever. And and cold was it cold cold in July that he did for for the interesting part in what you're going to hear a lot in a lot of this is one word repeated over and over and over again, and that's Netflix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Netflix is banking. Netflix is has is, all the money. Yeah, they have all the money. You know, I would you know devil's advocate. I would say. They have all the money, and mm -hmm. so they're also making shit too. There's a lot of they're making everything filler basically. in there. Yeah, yeah. Um, for, they haven't. The, this new Jurassic World is coming out in what a month or so. Yeah, they just announced Jurassic World three in 2021. Uh, it's so weird when when, and, and this has been a, a recent thing where it's like the movie hasn't even come out yet, yeah. but based on. Uh, you know projections. We're gonna we're 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 green lighting the the next yeah. thing. Well, yeah. at the very least, it's like even if that film sucks, it'll still has a name recognizability. I just, you know, I I just I love dinosaurs. Mm -hmm. I love love dinosaurs. My 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 earliest um, interest in cinema has to do with dinosaurs. I, I hope that somebody does something. Um, along the lines of Dinosaur Summer, um, by what's his name, Greg Wolf? Yeah, Greg. I think yeah, hmm. Greg Wolf. Um, where it's like 
it's not so much about the dinosaurs as it is about the people. Yeah. Because it just seems to be a lot of running away from shit. Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Man, I, if there was a Kickstarter for Dinosaur Summer to become a movie, <laughs> I'm I'm your first guy. That's right on. I'll give I've never read it, but I... It's amazing, dude. Look... <laughs> Ray Harryhausen is a character in it. Oh, that's Willis cool. O'Brien is a oh, character cool. in yeah, it. We've talked about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's like this. he's he's he, they're taking the basically the dinosaurs from the lost world wind up becoming uh, circus attractions. Sure. And by the 1940s or whatever, that goes out of style, and so now uh, uh, Professor Challenger or whoever it is is like, okay, we're gonna take the dinosaurs back and give them, you know, bring them back home. And you know shenanigans happen. And <laughs> shenanigans. Uh, let's see. Uh, they released a photo today for the Shaft reboot. Samuel L. Jackson, Jesse T. Usher, and Richard Roundtree all wearing purple leather trench coats. God like, damn it! Full length, and it look it looks badass. It, <laughs> it just looks so badass. Um, Kane Hodder, who played. Uh, Jason Voorhees in a thousand movies. A movie. He says he says he wants to play Michael Myers because. What else is he going to do? <laughs> what else is Kane Hodder going to do? He's in this new Expendables of Horror thing. I forget the name. Death House or something. But it's like, you're... I don't know. I mean, the guy should be able to work, but it's like... Man, I wish somebody would like come to these guys and be like, Hey, do you want to act? Like, really? Like, I want to see Kane Hodder in like... acting, boy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I want to see Kane, Kane Hodder, Hodder in Merchant of Venice. <laughs> Death of a Salesman. Death of a Salesman. And you know what? He might be good in it. Right, exactly. That's you know? that's my point. Is yeah. that like until you give these guys a chance, you know? Oh my God, could you imagine? You know, like um, Kane Hodder. Let's take all the wait. Let's take all the horror guys, yeah. right? And do um, Twelve Angry Men. Sure. <laughs> I think that would be awesome. It would be funny. Yeah. Uh, Howard said he hated Blade Runner 2049s. And based on what Rucker Howard's been doing lately... I... Okay. Okay. All right. I mean, granted, it's no hobo with a shotgun. (laughs) (laughs) But fuck, man. Uh, I I think that comes down to somebody you know protecting yeah. their. Uh, yeah, yeah. They brought Rachel Brack back, yeah. but they didn't bring Roy Batty back. Well, well you were shot, yeah, as I remember. You died. <laughs> you wrote like this this heartrending speech yeah. about your remember death. Tears and Rain, yes, yada yada. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, early Aquaman footage is getting high praise. They're saying it's good. Okay. Aquaman was one of the better things out of Justice League. I, mean, I, it was I didn't see Justice League, but I, I didn't either. But I saw enough of it. <laughs> I saw enough scenes. That's what I do when I see a film like that. I go, God, it's two and a half hours long. I can't sit through this. So I just go to YouTube and look at like all well, the. Well, I mean, uh, you know, the critical uh, attention to that movie is is not good. Oh, and you know, well, yeah, it's the same thing with horror films, comic book movies, et cetera, et cetera. Too many characters. Too, Too much going on. Car- yeah, there's Agre- like, agree. yeah, yeah. Speaking of which, Chris Tucker says Rush Hour Four is coming. Oh, great! Speaking of too much characters, I wonder if my uh, old <laughs> the guy who used to do my hair when I was in Las Vegas will be involved. He was in in He's a in couple Russia. of the Rush Hour yeah, movies. We got we got to bring him back. Well, that's his that's his thing, right? It's like his his barbershop is like 
Rush Hour is the name of the... Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Uh, Joss Whedon was going to do a Batgirl movie, and he just admitted it, and then he goes, yeah, I don't, I don't really have a story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Like, what are you, signing <laughs> on to stuff? Is there like a signing bonus you collect for this shit? Just go, meh, yeah. I got nothing. <laughs> I guess. Um, this is the one that's going to really get you. Fox is doing a, bio, a biopic on the guy who created... Flaming Hot Cheetos. <laughs> At first they just said... Okay. <laughs> the article said that they were doing one just on Flaming Hot Cheetos. And I go, right. oh, like the Emoji Movie. And they're like, no, no, no. On the creator. Like Tucker? <laughs> like Tucker or... Or, well, or the okay. Aviator? So we, so we laugh at this, and yet... There's someone I've, out there right I've now. I've been going, around kids. I'd watch that. and And the kids are like... Dude, but when you say flaming hot Cheetos are the shit. No, but when you say a, a biopic on the creator, that entails like the you know being de- his b- recipe being denied. There better be <laughs> yeah. There better be like some what are you badass movies? No, like, the kids he, don't want this. He had to fight a pit fighter in Thailand in order <laughs> for the recipe. <laughs> yeah, I I read that this week and I was just like. Uh, that makes no sense. <laughs> um, Sam Rockwell and Angelina Jolie in the one and only Ivan. It's a live action um, CG hybrid about. <laughs> you ready? <laughs> about a silverback gorilla that lives in a mall. <laughs> it sounds like Mad Libs, right? Oh, it does. It does, and yet. You say gorilla, I'm probably gonna watch that. I'm in. That's why I'm so pissed at Rampage because they're gonna make me watch this shitty movie. You are gonna sit there. You're gonna I be there with a bucket of popcorn <laughs> the first day, and I'll be like, "This is stupid," and I love that gorilla. Fucking hilarious. Uh, Stephen Fry is recovering from prostate cancer surgery, which bums me out. Uh, well, Stephen Fry is awesome. Yeah, he is awesome. Um, I'm. Glad to hear that he's recovering from yeah. surgery. I mean, <laughs> As opposed you know, to the other way, yeah, yeah, but yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Um, let's see. This is news for me only. Manhattan Transfer is releasing singles again after Tim Hauser. New singles? New singles. Really? Um, Tim Hauser, who was one of their male vocalists, had died of cardiac arrest a few years ago, and everyone was like, well, that's that. Yeah. Um, but they've added a new guy, they're touring again, and they got a new record out. Manhattan Transfer is great. They're man. a great band. Like, I, I, to be honest, really good acapella groups. Um, even something as silly as Van Canto, uh-huh. I'm all about it. Like, uh, like I, I'm fascinated. I saw something recently. This is different, but I saw something recently. Uh, it's been floating around on Facebook where this, uh, for lack of a better word, orchestra is doing this this thing where they're replicating a uh, thunderstorm. Mm. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, and they're like they're shaking their, their hands, hands yeah, yeah, together yeah. and snapping their feet. It's fucking amazing. It reminds me of whenever I saw the uh, Takeo drummers yeah. doing um, that song. I, I, I think it's called Rain. And they're just like, it's for, I, I don't know, for like it's 15 out there or 20 YouTube. minutes. Yeah, yeah. And they're just like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I literally fell asleep. And then, boom, the thunder comes. And it's like, holy shit. Yeah, I'd seen them a couple of times um, when I was working for Tower. And they were great. It took my in-laws to go see Dude, them. those dudes were a huge inspiration at the Corville Academy of Martial oh, Arts. That's, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I, let me tell you, because... The boy from New York City, yeah. Dude, they would, like, you know, as a warm-up to their performance, 
they run the Boston Marathon. Oh, it's yeah, like, yeah, you know, yeah. it's... Um, there's something about that I was going to say about... It. Oh, this last Christmas, I speaking of vocal groups, I, I did, I've learned that I have a deep and unabiding hatred for pe- pentatonics. I don't know what that is. The band Pentatonics. They're a There's vocal a band, band called Pentatonics. Yeah, they're terrible. They're really <laughs> annoyingly terrible. Um, this is cool. AMC and Wrinkle in Time have announced that they're going. They are scheduling free screenings for underprivileged kids to come see. That's a cool. Wrinkle in Time. How cool is that? That's very cool. That's very cool. Uh, Amazon has taken over the Dark Tower series. Because sure. Uh, there, wait. There, there was going to be a Dark Tower series, and then the movie failed. So the Whatever the network was that was going to do it is like, eh, we ain't going to do this anymore. So then Amazon, they already were in starting pre-production. And stuff. Okay, well, so hopefully they'll do it right. Hopefully they'll yeah. do it right. And I would argue that the format of multi-episodic storytelling story. fits this much yeah, better. Yeah, absolutely. Especially that first book, man. Uh, it's basically short films. Exactly. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, and now uh, Black Panther. Black Panther. So... Five hundred million dollars globally, three hundred million domestic. It's projected to go well over a hundred million. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It took um, the Avengers movie nine weeks to hit the money that Black Panther is well, already. Black hit. Panther already had pre-sales that were like out of the it's stratosphere, out of control. Um, I went and saw Black Panther. Okay, good. Um, we're gonna go in the next few days. Yeah, and uh, I get it. Mm-hmm. I I understand. I I because of all the hype. I don't know why, but I expected something more or different. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, it's a Marvel movie. It's sure. a superhero movie. It, it is being compared like to they're saying it's the structure is very Shakespearean and that yeah kind of yeah yeah. And I'm there's, talking that. So too. there's a lot of. I think what for you to get it. You have to look at like you you got to look at it deeper. Mm-hmm. So even just the fact that like Black Panther's suit, um, Jennifer brought this up to me when we went and saw it. Uh, his suit is designed so that the more you hit it, mm-hmm. it's Captain America's shield. The stronger it becomes. Yeah. So and that's kind of like the black experience, right? It's like yeah. the more you oh, there's metaphors the everywhere, everywhere, yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and it's. It's, They're saying it's um, a it's a great movie and yeah I can't wait to see it. I, let me go see it and then we'll come back yeah, and we'll yeah, talk yeah. about we'll, it. We'll talk uh, about I it. will say that if you go on YouTube, look up Fat Man on Batman. There's a episode called Black Panther Roundtable. Yeah, Mark Bernardin and four um, black creative people. One of them is doing the Black Panther comic now. Um, have a really in depth discussion about what it means, what this sure. film means to this yeah, community. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've, I mean, it, you know, even early on, I've heard interviews with actors yeah. and, and who are oh. who are not involved, and they're like, the movie brought tears to their eyes because it's the first time, sure, uh, in their mind, mm-hmm. you know, because you know there's some people a, are arguing Blade. There's a photo essay out there of all the guy did was take photos of young African American children as they watched Black Panther. Yeah, and you could see it in their face. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Just, it's really something. Yeah. Uh, oh, by the way, Andy Serkis, holy fuck. Yeah. He's yeah. great in it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I really am looking forward to it. So uh, we'll, probably, we'll knock yeah. that out early this week. Moving on to trailers. 
Collateral, uh, again, Netflix, British uh, film made, um, it looks like a murder mystery within the Muslim community. Yeah. Um, looked solid, looked very BBC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. it, 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 it looks good. Um, uh, I'm trying to remember now. Um, it looks like it's 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 doing the the uh, the the good work of um, making a, an individual uh, event mm -hmm. not a Muslim thing or this yeah. thing or that thing. Oh, it's it, like it, look, it's a murder. It's you know? a murder. Yeah, and their politics doesn't really matter. Right. Yeah. It looked good. It looked very um like one of those things that you put on your queue and you yeah. go yeah yeah uh second up dangerous book for boys man this i'm all over this this looks like the lego movie of holy shit you know that sort of children and parents going to see this thing it's a dad I, and sons i i was unfamiliar with the book although i realized whenever i was watching the trailer i had seen the cover i've seen the, the cover book. too yeah. yeah 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 um Having no idea what it was about, and and the idea, the idea is is that these kids' uh, father has died, mm -hmm. but he left something for them, and it's like this. It's like a Guillermo del Toro notebook, right? It's like full of all kinds of stuff pertaining to you know fun things to do as a boy. It was and almost like that. I am up to mischief, or I'm up to yes, no good. Yes, exactly. Thing, right? Yeah, 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 and. Uh, from the from the looks of the movie, it, it strikes home in particular with one of the sons, mm -hmm. and uh, he has a literal cult, uh, connection with his father right. through the book. It looks fantastic. It does look fantastic. Yeah. Very kind of never-ending story, yeah. that kind of thing. All, I'm all about yeah, it. Yeah, I am in. Uh, the Forgiven, Eric Bana, Forrest Whitaker, unrecognizable beneath makeup. Uh, about think Desmond Tutu? I think he yeah, is. Yeah, I mean, about they didn't a, really say that, but... They never say, and Boris Whitaker is Desmond Tutu. Yeah. But it's about this guy, Eric Bana, who's a murderer that is in prison. Yeah, in um, South Africa. Bana looked like he was channeling Chopper Reed. Totally. In a big, bad way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Without the accent. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it looks good. Yeah. Very... Uh, if you like that kind of thing... Oscar bait? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Uh, next up... Uh, I know. I already know how you're going to feel about this. Isle of Dogs. Oh my God! Looks so good. <laughs> it looks great. So, I love the Fantastic Mr. Fox. Well, first Agreed. of all, I really like Wes Anderson. Mm -hmm. Like I, I get that he has this particular thing, and if you're not into that, you're not going to be into it. I love it. I love all of his shit. Mm -hmm. And uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox was his first foray into stop motion animation as a right. feature. I loved it. This looks like even more of it, it a... It kind of reminded me of Plague Dogs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, Which but, wasn't fucking around for an even though it Oh, was no, no, no. So the idea is that... Okay, well, first of all, it's a stop-motion animation film. Um, it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's got some of that Kong stuff with the fur, I noticed. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Bless you for the Kong wrestling. <laughs> yeah, so, so what Tom's talking about is... Whenever they made the original King Kong, um, the hands of the animators would wind up messing with the hair on the puppets. So while the puppets are moving around doing their shit, their skin is like crawling. It's like you, you, you see their hair like wiggling around and stuff. 
And uh, at first, the uh, producers were like, oh, shit, we can't have that. And then somebody saw it, and they're like, oh, my God, this is so realistic. Even his hair is bristling. Yeah. And they do that in this yeah, movie. Yeah, it's the, very cool. The dog's hair is like all that. And like, you know yeah. that someone was like, well, you know, <laughs> like Kong. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it looks fun. This movie looks amazing. And very much in that right next to the, on the shelf right next to Fabulous Mr. Oh, yeah, Fox. yeah, 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 yeah. Go see this movie, Isle of Dogs. Uh, let's see. Kings. Daniel Craig, Halle Berry, a movie about the 1992 riots in L.A. Wow. This looks really powerful. This looks intense. This looks intense For once, I fun. care about a Halle Berry movie. Yeah. Uh, Holly Berry, apparently, I, I don't know, I don't know how many of the kids are hers. She's adopted some. Mm-hmm. But she has this, this big posse of kids. It's 1992. The Rodney King thing happens. Mm-hmm. Daniel Craig is her white next door neighbor, mm-hmm. um, who apparently he is not appreciative of the fact that she's got all these loud kids. Right. And uh, shit starts to go down, and uh, she's got some teenage boys who are out. are are uh, yeah, doing their thing. Well, they're you know they're feeling you know they're. They're feeling the the like we got to get involved, you know? bristling with youth. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it looks great. It looks fantastic. It looks great. Yeah. Um, very short teaser film for another Netflix project. This Lost in Space thing. Yeah. So of course, we don't know much. Because Doesn't show anything other than they're the they're, cast. they're walking in slow motion to the ship, and you've got this. this it's that very famous like right stuff right moment yeah, where they're yeah, walking yeah. in slow motion towards their. Spaceship. You know, uh, I'm on board so far. Well, you know that the, who Doctor Smith is. No, Parker Posey. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, yeah. I'm Amazing in. casting. I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. In. So here's the thing with with Lost in Space. We've basically got two Lost in Spaces so far, right? We have the original campy mm-hmm. TV show. Which I was a fan of. Yeah. But even as a little kid, I recognized. I, well, I like that show because there was a kid on it, and I was like, "There, yeah. talk about a representation." Absolutely, and and, but even as a kid, I recognized this is not. Uh, <laughs> this is gonna sound horrible. This is not as serious as Star Trek. It was it was campier. <laughs> sure. <than that. laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and when the chimp shows up, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. we're just we're just doing whatever. Um, having and and then we have the uh, the movie the live action thing with the live action thing Gary Oldman uh, Matt LeBlanc yeah um, Will Hurt William yeah, Hurt yeah, yeah, and yeah. Um, William Hurt yeah what's her name and uh, I know that you are a big fan of at least I love part the, of that movie. I love the first as soon as they land on the ice planet the the entire fucking thing goes goes sideways it was a movie that could have made Matt LeBlanc an action hero yeah but it fucked his career good um so as a fan of science fiction and as a fan of uh in particular retro science fiction Mm -hmm. uh i'll definitely be checking it out i'm interested we just don't have enough information i will say this looks good gathered from just this teaser it looks like they're taking it seriously. I want something a little hard science. I want like Battlestar Galactica, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. where it's not just like, you know, my favorite one of my favorite characters in that series. Though, remember the girl that became infatuated with Doctor Smith? Oh yeah, put a handsome Doctor. Yeah, 
Yeah. So it would, it doesn't look like that. I would like it to be like let's do this. Let's do a science based series where not only we can entertain but yeah. we can also give information. You know, my favorite iteration of Lost in Space mm. is Space nineteen ninety nine. Yeah. You know, it's like yeah, know, yeah, yeah. We've been you know, there's been this explosion. We're sent off. We're carousing through space. We don't know where the fuck we're going. Sure. And uh, we're dealing with whatever comes up each week. Yeah. It was, it's a monster of a week, but yeah. that's fine. Uh, next up, a trailer for this new New Mutants thing. Looks like it's a... They're taking a comic book superhero premise and running it through a horror genre. Yeah. Uh, I was like... Oh, I mean, it kind of interesting. That's kind of cool because it's like... You know... Maisie Williams list, from Listeners of the show know that like I don't I don't like comic book movies right. generally. Um this looks cool to me. Mm-hmm. Like I I've never cared two shits about the X-Men and this makes me go this is cool because we're not making now we're not making a comic book movie. Mm-hmm. We're not even making a science fiction movie, which yeah. is what some of the the right. comic book movies are. We're making a horror film. Yeah, and I'm like, ooh, I'm kind of into the this idea. This is interested. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. given that I'll, I'll admit it, I'll, I'll never watch this, but I'm interested in premise um, because I like playing with genre. And was so, this a series or a movie? Uh, I thought it was a series. It might, but be. I may be wrong. There was a couple this week that were actually series. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, poop talk. Documentary on Dude, poop. I'm looks hilarious. I'm so on board for this. Okay, so it's a documentary, uh, people talking about poop. And, it's a and, lot of talking heads, a lot of comics talking about poop. Yeah, exactly. And how, I'm in. Yeah, because this is the type of subject that you have. I'm with, not in on New Mutants, but no. poop. I'm in. <laughs> Go ahead. Well, this is the type of subject that like you wind up having with your partner. Sure. And you laugh about it, right? It's like you know. And uh, and and everybody has their. It's interesting that it that like. It seems to me like anyways that everybody has their own little, uh, weird thing thing that that pertains to this. Oh, yeah, you yeah. know that we have our own scatological. Everyone does it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's uh, that's the one thing. Everybody does it. Everybody has different feelings about it. Yeah, which is. Weird because we because there's any so much tied it. into it. There's your relationship with your parents and being and being toilet trained and all uh, of this other stuff. Um, I I am a little weirded out that the your mom's house podcast they do an entire segment called Brown Talk where they talk about poop, and um, I can't imagine that's they weird. They weren't aware. One wasn't aware of the other, um, meaning that this documentary wasn't aware of it because they've been doing the Brown Talk thing for years. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you talk to people, and once you can get past that embarrassment and stuff, everyone has their own. How much toilet paper do you use? Do you wipe wipe to side, or do you go right. shit to shower? Yeah. Do you? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I'm in. Yeah, I'm in. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, next up, film called Pie Wacket, supernatural witchcrafty movie with Lori Holden from Walking Dead. Uh. I I remember it kind of reminded me of the craft in that these girls are mad oh, at their yeah, mom yeah, and they yeah. do this spell on her yeah. that unleashes hell and it kind of reminded me of the craft that kind of thing. I remember um, the shot where she's like opening her eyes and it's like oh shit now you got to deal with the fuck the shit. That Whatever you, you did, yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This and the other one, the summoning about it's I wrote down psychic love story. Um, 
Was it? Is this the one with uh, what's her face, Natalie Portman? Yes. Okay. Um, just struck me as sort of generic. It just looks. It looks like more of the same. Mm-hmm. It doesn't look very special to me. And then finally, my pick of the week, The Outsider. Jared Leto joins the Yakuza. Yeah, I'm I, in. I call this American Yakuza. You know, yeah, Redux. It, it reminded me of um, uh, the latest round of beat Takeshi movies. Yeah. Brother and Outrage and Beyond yeah. Outrage and all that other stuff. I mean we see in the trailer there's there's a moment where this is your moment where you have to prove yourself. Mm-hmm. You, you know, and and he he chooses he chooses the path. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah. Uh, uh the Yakuza movies are great. Yeah. There there is I'd love to do a show on one. The problem is is that they're all the same. Exactly. <laughs> like, once you talk about one, yeah. you've talked about all. Yeah, of them. yeah, 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 yeah. That's yeah. my only issue with like that whole culture is that it's like yeah, You like this? Oh, here's a lot of it. Well, yeah. and it's and it's kind of my it's kind of my thing with mobster movies too. It's mm-hmm. like um I feel like if I've seen um uh, uh, no, I can't think of the Scorsese movie. Uh, Goodfellas. Goodfellas. I feel like if I've seen Goodfellas, sure, I don't need to watch any of that. The shit only anymore. difference between I, if I've seen The Godfather, I don't need to watch anymore. You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the only di- really the only difference between Goodfellas and and um, uh, the yeah, the Fat movie, uh, the John Woo movie, The um, Killers. No, the other ones. Anyway, those. Though that whole genre right, right, is yeah. the suits, and yeah. it's all the same, it's all cultural, you know, whatever. Yeah. But I do think that within that, I mean, Johnny Toe's been doing these kind of movies for years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, within the framework, though, there is room for variation. Sure, but it's all high sort of palace intrigue. Yeah. So, but this looks kind of cool. As long as I'd love to see this, this sort it's of. It's going to drive me nuts now because I know the movie you're talking about, and I like it better than the yeah. Film. Yeah, it's going to come to me, too. As soon as I hit stop, it's going to come to me. <laughs> Moving on, um, did you watch anything? Well, Or do you have any, something else you want to talk about? Uh, no, not really. Um, I, 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 I did go and see Black Panther, but we're yes. going to talk about that yeah, on, yeah, yeah, on, yeah. A, on a later show. Um, on Amazon Prime right now, um, there's a documentary called Rumble, The Indians Who Rock the World. Yes! Yeah. And yes, it, yes, 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 yes. It's really good. It's about Rocky Erickson, right? Or um, Well, it's about... It, well, it, the starting point is Link Ray. Link Ray. Yeah, Link yeah, Ray. Yeah. That's where um, the title comes from. Yeah, exactly. Because he wrote that classic tune, the Rumble, Rumble, you know. Yeah. Brown, brown. And basically, it's examining the influence that Native Americans have had on rock music. Mm-hmm. Not only on rock music, but um, there's a great segment uh, about um, how... Like Mississippi Delta blues was heavily in- influenced by Native American sure music, would be. and, and um, it's amazing. Like once, once the director, whose name I can't remember, um, uh, started talking to people, how eager they were to go. Oh shit! Yeah, I want to talk about this because it's like you know, uh, Steven Tyler's one part, you know, Cherokee or like everybody has something and they and they're all like oh this is so important because we heard all these stories when we were growing up Side oh my god I just got a picture sent to me and my granddaughter that's awesome Fuck yay right Tom is a grandpa yeah. congratulations woohoo um sorry go yeah. ahead that's <laughs> happening in real anyway kids. so okay rumble good movie check it out was that it 
Yeah. <laughs> Watch how fast <laughs> we go now. Uh, me, Joel McHale show with Joel McHale just started on Netflix. It's the Soup 2.0. If you like the Soup, this is okay, okay. the Soup 2.0. Right, right, right. Um, and then this is something that I saw that you know, it hasn't even been recorded yet. Over the last week, last Sunday, my wife and I and our, our kids went and saw Joe Coy at Mount Baker Theater. Right. He was working, tuning up his hour for his next Netflix special called Break the Mold. Right. Hilarious. Um, solid stand-up night. Um, the film, the uh, theater was full of Filipino people. Sure. Uh, pe- people of Filipino descent. Um, at one point he goes, man, it wouldn't pay to be- get sick in Bellingham tonight. All the <laughs> nurses are here, which was hilarious. But it was great. And I'm sure it's going to come next year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I highly rem- Very recommend cool. that. Uh, books. Anything to recommend? I went back and was uh, this week. I've been rereading *The Lady and Her Monsters*. Okay. Um, by Roseanne Montillo. Uh, Montillo or Montillo? I'm not sure which. M O N T I L L O. Okay. Um, the uh, uh, the subtitle for the book is *A Tale of Dissections: Real Life Doctor Frankenstein's and the Creation of Mary Shelley's I'm Masterpiece*. In. Dude, it's I'm a great in. book. It's amazing because it talks about people who were doing. Um, resurrection type oh, wow. stuff at the time that Mary Shelley um, wrote the book that she would have been privy to, and uh, it, yeah, it's it's an amazing. Oh, that's book. very cool. You should definitely check it out. Uh, I did a little reading this week on a book that uh, is called "But Enough About Me." It's written by Burt Reynolds, where he talks about uh, talks about Russell Crowe, talks about the Longest Yard, tells a great. Frank Sinatra's story. It's by Burt Reynolds? It's Burt Reynolds and a guy. Okay, sure, sure, sure. Talks about how James Caan is a, quote, a tough guy poser. Uh, Johnny Carson, the frugality of Gary, uh, Cary Grant, how Marlon Brando hated hated him. All of his injuries. Talks about the size of, uh, metaphorically, of Tom Cruise's balls on doing the stunts that he did. What a prick John Avildsen was and some of the roles he turned down. Nice. Two of which... James Bond and Han Solo. Oh, so I think Burt Reynolds would have made a great Han Solo. I think actually. he would have made a great yeah uh, a lot of things. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, I think a James Bond. I, I, I think, I think the worst thing. That. I think the worst thing that ever happened to Burt Reynolds was the Smokey and the Bandit movies. Agreed. Yeah. Look at two of his best films. I think um, other than things like Deliverance, <clears throat> The End. Yeah. And a movie called Best Friends with Goldie Hawn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a great yeah. movie. Um, well, and then and and then you have his later career too, mm-hmm. where striptease yeah. is amazing. Mm-hmm. Well, at least his performances. Agreed. Um, Boogie Nights. Boogie oh Nights. my God. Yeah. And this new thing that he's got. This coming Adam out, Rifkin movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Called Last American Movie Star. Or something looks like that. fantastic. That yeah, looks great. Yeah, looks great. Music. Anything? Heard anything? You went and saw Slim Cessna. Holy shit! Did we talk Dude. about that? I don't know if we talked about it or not, but god damn it, man. It I'll good. talk about it again. A religious experience. I'm not a religious guy. This was a religious experience. I came away with two things. One, Slim Cessna is the nicest guy in the world. Two, Jay Munley, my suspicions, my suspicions of him being the creepiest, <laughs> scariest man on earth... Confirmed. Thoroughly confirmed. Right on. Oh my God. Right on. It was amazing. If That's you, if fun. People, they come to little clubs. If they come to your town, go see Slim Cessna's Auto Club. 
It is a life-changing experience. Yeah, yeah. I heard the new record, and it was good. Oh, it's... The Commandments or You something. know, here's the thing, is that, like, you know, I've, I've been listening to their, their music for years. Mm-hmm. Nothing prepares you for the live performance. It's entirely different. It's like... Right on. It's like a... It's like going to a revival. Oh, cool. It's very it's, fun. It's, in fact, during one of their songs, they got everybody down on their knees, and they th- I think they saved somebody or something. I don't know what happened. <laughs> sure they did. <laughs> wow. Well, that's very cool. Yeah. Um, uh, also, I've been listening to, um, prompted by a lot of friends' posts, um, I've been listening to just the songs of Schoolhouse Rock. Oh, fun. Yeah. The old uh, Bob... I don't re- I don't know who was involved. Shit. But I mean there were definitely distinct It was the guy. It was the dude that had the voice, the country identified yeah. voice. Yeah. Bob shit. Bob shit. No, I forget his name now. God damn it. Well anyway, the if you you take away the cartoons and you just listen oh, to the great. songs, they're amazing. Dude, I'll be honest, I get all tied up. Three is a magic number every time. Oh my god! Three uh, is a magic number is an amazing, an amazing song. song. Yeah. God damn it! I don't remember that guy's name. Oh well. Anyway, that's awesome. That's what I've been listening to. Right on. Uh, let's see. Bunch of stuff. We're gonna fly through this. Didn't know that there was a Turtles record called Battle of the Bands. Hmm. Um, it has Eleanor on it, but it's 14 songs, and the premise of the record is that every single song is by a different band, even though it's all by the Turtles. You with me? Yeah. But every single song is completely different from the one. Here's a pop song. Here's a country song. Here's a this song. Here's wow. A, yeah, it's very very cool. Mark Isham um, used to be in a group called Group 87. Did a lot of soundtrack music. Trouble in Mind. He did that. Mm-hmm. Has a m- soundtrack to the movie called The Fallen. Some shitty movie looks like a lifetime movie about angels and whatever. Movie looks terrible. Film score is great. Uh, Raison d'etre has a new record out called Alchemia. It's a dark metal and ambient band. Mm-hmm. Um, they re-released Ron Grainer's Omega Man soundtrack. Ah. And it's super Lalo Schifrin. Very groovy. Like yeah. it doesn't sound like Omega Man at all. Yeah. A lot of wah wah on yeah, the guitar yeah, yeah. and stuff. Um Johnny Greenwood scored a Phantom Thread is good. It's very noodly, not noodly, but very classical mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, new Al Demiola record called Opus is terrible. Uh, <laughs> group called Cyber Chump records called After Cyber Chump is really good. It's very ambient, very beautiful. Uh-huh. Um, Tony Banks from Genesis has a new record out called Five with the Czech uh, National Symphony Orchestra. It's like a it's a classical piece. Okay. Um, John Clemmer, I I, I re looked at Touch. It's like the ultimate, like, if you're going to have sex with someone, put John Clemmer Touch on. Yeah, yeah. And, oh, it's like really saxophone late at night. Sure. And beautiful. My, my latest thing has been Lovage. Yeah. <laughs> and then finally, I just got I just got this yesterday. Project Records, Sam Rosenthal and Project Records um, has released a record, Paulina Cassidy. It's called Drawing Up a Storm, and it's beautiful. It's very project, very ethereal, very uh, nice. Um, uh, and you can get that through, I think, project.com. Cool. And then the final thing I want to talk about real briefly is I fell into this hole... On back in the day, back in like the early 
late 50s, early 60s, there used to be these things called party records. Yeah. Party records were, at fir- the first label was Do Two Records, and the, uh, the famous one was Laugh Records, L-A-F-F. Carlin used to record on Laugh. Names, I'm going to just go through a couple of these. Tina Dixon, Skillet and Leroy, LaWanda Page, wow. who was Ann Esther on Sanford and Son. Yeah. Nipsey Russell and Mantan Moreland used to record together. Willie and Rising Dick, Red Fox, Dolomite, and Richard and Willie. Damn. These things are like so dirty. <laughs> right. It's it's like it's filthy. Like humor. an old Red Fox record. It's yeah, exactly yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, and they used to be um, handed around. If you wanted to buy some somewhere, you had yeah. to know that they sold them. They, they kept them under the counter. They sure. put them in brown paper. And it was mostly just people doing stand-up. Yeah. Um, and it was dirty stand-up. Super dirty stand-up, but more importantly, kind of tying into the Black Panther thing, it was super inside. Right, right. Where a lot of the jokes I listen to now, and I don't get it. It goes yeah. right over my head. Yeah. Because um, I just don't have the cultural reference. Right. But God damn, are they funny. Um, if you're a sort of social justice warrior, if you get offended by certain words then steer clear of all of this stuff um and if you think you know uh people and then again if you are maybe you should listen to some of this agreed stuff and, it's and genuinely funny yeah um i i the delivery is half of it it gets a little kingfisher you know what i mean yeah yeah, yeah. oh yeah, yeah a little step and fetch it but at the time it was it was it was a it was listening like, to stand up find its own voice. It's and like it's very all that cool. stuff. It's like it, at the very least, it's important. It's yeah. important. Well, to that's know why that I'm, that I went there. Yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. I had heard of Tina Dixon, and um, uh, then that led me to all these other things. And now I've got like 15 records that I've got to listen to. I, so I'm I, into it. Look at look it up. You can find them, all that stuff out. I'm there. gonna I'm 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 gonna have one more recommendation, and that is a a, a record. That's coming out. It, it hasn't quite come out yet, but it will be later in March. Um, it's called "By George" by Bachman, and it is Randy Bachman. Oh, cool! Doing all George Harrison covers. I'm in. Him breaking. Uh, well, he's, thank God you didn't say George Michael cover. Oh no no no! <laughs> like him doing. Um, uh, so, Randy Bachman makes a point that like when he was an up-and-comer, you know, everybody did Beatles covers, right? At their their gigs and stuff. Right. And he, by default, was George. He was George Harrison. So he he waited with bated breath for the George Harrison songs to come along because that meant that he could shine, you know. And uh, so he always felt... uh, And and I don't know if you've ever seen this, but there's this amazing viral video of uh, Randy Bachman breaking down just the opening chord to um, Hard Day's Night. Yeah. You know, that clang. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he like, I've seen that. It's he, like yeah, a weird he, it's like suspended he, seven He goes into this long bit. thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And he takes that kind of knowledge and love for the material and puts it into this album. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah, so it's I saw them... Jesus. B- them being BTO. BTO. 74. Five. Here's the thing that people don't don't realize, you know, because they 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 hear BTO on the classic rock radio station, mm-hmm. and they don't realize that these guys were contemporaries of, you know, because of the guess who of the Beatles and all mm-hmm. these people, mm-hmm. and um, 
there's a there's a great story about you know you know uh, taking care of business. Mm-hmm. There's a piano uh, playing in that song, and uh, the way that that happened was um, they were recording taking care of business in the same studio was Steve Miller Band was recording Fly Like an Eagle and War, getting high and doing whatever they do, and this pizza guy shows up mm-hmm. at their door and they're like, we didn't order any pizza. Check with the other guys. And and the guy looked like Fidel Castro. So he goes and he delivers the pizza to whoever. <clears throat> and he comes back by and he knocks on the door again. He's like, I, I've been listening to you guys play the song through the door. I think you need a piano. I, I play piano. <laughs> the pizza guy. Yeah, the pizza guy. So they're like, Do they're like, they're tired, you know, uh-huh. and they're done. And they're like, okay, fine, whatever, come in. And he's like, well, what do you want? And they're like, we want, uh, we want uh, Little Richard. We want... Uh, uh, um, Boom. Uh, 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 the killer. What's his name? Jerry Lee Lewis. Jerry Lee Lewis. Oh, sure. And, and, and so they name off like three references, right? And so this guy plays. Bup, 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 bup. They record it. They forget about him. They all pass out. The producer comes in the next day, and they're like, what the fuck is that? Oh, that's like, very that's cool. amazing. Like, who's that? And they're like, the pizza guy. We don't know. <laughs> and so he's like, dude, we got to find this guy because we got to get him in the union. We got, we're going to get yeah, a cease yeah, and yeah, desist yeah, order. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they, they go through this whole thing of like, they go to Steve Miller band and they're like, we didn't order pizza. They go to war and they're, and they're, and Randy Bachman says like, it's like, it was like opening just this wall of smoke. And <laughs> nobody knew what the fuck. So they went to the, they, they went to the receptionist and they're like, look, you start with Anthony's pizza and I'll start with Mario's and we'll just go through uh-huh. and we'll ask for people like, do you have a pizza delivery guy that looks like Fidel Castro? They finally found the guy and they gave him credit on the song. Oh, that's very cool. Um, but yeah, and when you and and until I heard that story, I never really noticed the piano. But now that I've heard now that you story, can't hear anything I, else. It's like oh it's my like god, the, it's the cowbell and don't fear the rain. Exactly, <laughs> it's like you can hear all three references that they cited. Yeah, funny. We every night, my wife and I watch. Um, don't ask me why, but we watch. We call it murder. It's forensic files or whatever. Yeah. And the theme to forensic files, there's this little sound in there. It just kind of this wah 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 sound. <laughs> and now I locked onto it, and every time it plays, I'll hit my wife and go wah wah wah. <laughs> and um, it's the weirdest thing because now I can't think of anything else. <laughs> All right. All right. I gotta go. I gotta go see a baby. Hey, congratulations, Thanks, Grandpa Tom! Holy this. shit! Whatever we're, whatever uh, we're calling you. Anyway, thanks a lot, guys. Thanks for listening. Thanks for keeping it, keeping it up. Um, next week, uh, not sure what we got going because I it's been a while since so I looked. Don't worry about it. You got to go to the hospital. We got some good stuff coming up. Really good <laughs> yeah. stuff coming up. Um, thanks again. Visit our Facebook page. Buy my book. And um, thanks, John Lovett, for coming on. And thanks to to John Lovett for coming on for the Bonus Potato Podcast. I'm Tom Carr, Grandpa, Grampus, Tom <laughs> Carnell. I'm Langley West. Stay scary. <laughs>